drink and dance all night. Now let's talk of diapers and pacifiers and our pants are feeling tight. Bottle service with BKP. Bottle service with BKP. Guys, today I have such a special episode for you. I am so excited. All right, talk about a dream guest situation. Today we have on Laura Hunter and Jennifer Walker, aka the OG founders of Moms on Call. If you're a new mom, chances are you've heard of Moms on Call. They are literally the guidebook for getting your new baby to sleep through the night. I mean, they're actually the guidebook for a lot of things when it comes to new babies, but especially when it comes to sleep, they are like ugh, the best. So when I was dreaming up episodes for this season, they were at the very top of my list. They were such an integral part of helping my household get back to sleep with our new baby. And I really, really wanted them to share some wisdom on this show. So I am honestly just so honored and humbled that they even said yes and agreed to do this podcast. They are full of so much knowledge, and I know you guys will get a lot of tangible tips and insights in this episode. I know I asked you guys over on Instagram a while ago for your sleep questions, and we really do go through a lot of them in today's episode. We talk about building good sleep habits, navigating naps, night feeds, and just lots of general sleep troubleshooting. We definitely do go overtime in this episode. It's a little bit of a longer one, but I definitely wanted to squeeze as much out of Laura and Jennifer as I possibly could. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this one. Let's jump right into this episode with Moms on Call. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite clean skincare lines made by moms for moms and moms-to-be. You already know I'm talking about Nima. If you don't know, Nima is a sustainable luxury skincare collection formulated specifically for mamas and their families. Founded by Mary Lawless Lee, Nima is inspired by the love of her children and the desire to offer moms pregnancy-safe products that feel luxurious and as effective as their other skincare products. Nima combines luxury ingredients with science and all of their products, including the Stretch Mark Cream, Nipple and Lip Balm, and Scar Treatment, Hi, where my fellow C-section girlies at, are all dermatologist approved, hypoallergenic, and vegan. And not to mention, they feel so good on your skin. I'm a huge fan. I mean, true story, guys. I just went to a baby shower and got the mom to be their new mom essential kit, which has all three products in it as a gift. I mean, I think everybody always gets the baby presents at a baby shower, and I think moms need some love too. Am I right? So pick up something nice for yourself or for a fellow mom or mom-to-be at nema.com. That's N-E-M-A-H.com and use code BIGKID for 15% off. Again, that is nema.com and use code BIGKID for 15% off. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. I'm sitting here with Laura Hunter and Jennifer Walker of Moms on Call. You guys probably know the hype. I know when I, before I even had a baby, everyone, so many of my girlfriends, so many strangers on the internet were like, you have to pick up Moms on Call. Like, do not have a baby until you get those Moms on Call books. So I am personally so excited to have you both on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We are so thrilled. This is some of the most fun things that we get to do together. So we love it. And so thanks. Thanks for having us today. Oh my gosh. We're pumped. And when it comes to sleep, I mean, fun, I don't know if fun is the word I would use because (laughs) if anybody else listening to this podcast is like me, like this could be, this is like one of the hardest things I think when it comes to like having a newborn, it's like, am I ever going to sleep? again (laughs) it's a serious question yes the answer is absolutely yes and it's never too late to start and we are going to get you there by building really great strong habits and using the ways that babies learn and their natural normal rhythms to kind of settle them in through every stage and uh, we've done this for so long it's such a privilege and a pleasure just to take parents through that process because yes you are not alone all of our clients wonder the same thing. Am I ever going to get to sleep? 
you've loved them so much. They're so sweet, especially in this, what you call the fourth trimester, which I love. Um, you know, they're just so cuddly and snuggly and sweet. Um, but yes, we want you to be well-rested to enjoy as much of that as you can. Oh my gosh. You guys are already making me feel better. I love this. Um, before we get into like the actual like bread and butter of like all the things sleep, I would love to just get a little bit of background on you guys. Like how did moms on call even come to be? That day I met Laura, that fateful day I met Laura at the the pediatrician's office and we're both pediatric nurses. And she told me she was having twins. I had twins a year older and we just looked at each other and held on for dear life, but I'll let you take it from there. So, you know, it was, it was this with Jennifer and I, you know, we were like in the trenches, not only with each other in our own homes, but we were taking all the after hours calls and even during office hour calls with this busy pediatric practice. And we were talking to hundreds of families a week. And that's not an exaggeration, hundreds of families a week. And I can remember Kid number five, you know, I have five kids. So I have, you know, a 32-year-old and a 23-year-old and the twins are 21 and little handsome is is 19 and and little handsome was- Who I saw a, plucked from the womb, by the way. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jennifer wow. was right there. Yeah, yeah. Sure. She was you, something. And you guys are close friends. Are yes. close friends. <laughs> well, and Literally. you know, your nurse friends, you're tied into these situations. Those are the ones you want, right? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> So Brent was a week old and and our boss, Jennifer and I's boss was like, look, you got to start going into these homes and really start to walk this out with our families. And and that's what we did. We really thought um, that this was more of, hey, I'm going to come alongside you, walk this out, those day-to-day things. Um, We didn't actually set out to create a sleep method. I know that's what we're known for. Um, But what Jennifer and I quickly found out was that the sleep was actually a byproduct of the confidence that we were leaving with these families. And, and that's how it kind of exploded. And, you know, it was a folder that Jennifer and I printed off of our computer and, and went into the homes. We were a consulting business for several years before we were books and online courses and apps and, you know, uh, podcasts and every way to digitally get in touch with a weary parent. We're like, bring it on. We want to be able to help as many people as we can, because it really overwhelmed us and still does to this day. Like my friends still joke with me because they're like, Jennifer, you say like, oh, I wrote a few pamphlets with my friend, Laura. Um, And that's what it feels like because it feels so personal. Um, But we want, we set out to write something That was from the perspective of moms because we're moms that was concise and outline format that you could follow that answered the basic questions and made it as easy as possible. So it's just like the how, the how to get from here to there. And those schedules, let me tell you the brilliance of having observed all these babies over time and seeing the normal patterns emerge. And uh, I think that's one of the things that was, you know, that parents really love. The dads love the conciseness <laughs> of the book. And they're so funny, just like you heard about it. Like we hear these stories all the time, a marketing team in Pennsylvania, the dads were like joking with each other because only one dad who had recently had a baby wasn't sleeping through the night. And they're like, you're not using mom's on call. Like, how does this even happen? But we have clients now from all over the world and this shocks us and thrills us. Um, because we just get to do something that we've seen be so effective over and over and over again. It it really is amazing. And I mean, you guys have obviously made a huge impact for me because I have my baby pretty much sleeping through the night. Um, he's been, and we used your method. And I mean, I have so many girlfriends who were like, trust me, you have to use moms on call. And I have friends who don't use it and their babies aren't sleeping. So there is something here. <laughs> there is definitely some magic, some magic that you guys have come across and it seems to work. And that's the biggest thing. I think when it comes to figuring out sleep, um, you said it yourself, like you've worked with so many different families. I feel like some people think like, well, this may not work for my baby. Like everybody has so many, so many different types of babies out there, but this kind of seems to work. Would you say for all of them or not, not necessarily? 99.99% 
I mean, if, if we create the, and I, and, and Sarah, I really hate like the word sleep training, right? That's, that's kind of those buzzwords. And, and I often sit and think, okay, well, you know, if we create really good habits in the beginning, this we don't have to sleep train. These babies come out knowing how to sleep. We don't have to train them. And so by just creating some good habits with them and with ourselves and the home and the household, what that's what we have found leads to mm. better sleep than the, you know, sleeping through the night. And, and that's really what's so exciting. Yes. I think that's one of the biggest surprises when I was going through this process is you realize it's not just about the sleep. It's about everything. It's about eating. It's about, you know, like their feeding schedule, their napping schedule, their daytime, like what that looks like all affects their sleep. So I would love to just like hop right into it with you guys. Cause we have so much, <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah. Let's have some fun. We I know you it. guys, yes. You guys talk a lot about sleep principles, like those basic sleep principles, like Tell us, a, tell us a little bit about that and maybe some recommendations you guys have on that front. One of our favorite videos online, and it's free and anybody can pop over there at momsoncall.com and take a look, is um, the sleep environment and just making a sleep environment that's ideal for sleep. So we talk about controlling the things you can control. And that's one of the things we can control. So we like it free of any lights, light up toys, or even the mobiles. We want it just so boring in there. There's nothing to do but sleep because babies learn by association and routine. And we want them to associate crib time with sleep time. So we want a super safe sleep environment for them. And in the crib, that involves, you just have a mattress and a baby. That's all that's in there. And then the environment outside of that, ideally about 68 to 72 degrees. We want it pitch black at night, but there can be some light coming through during the day to set their circadian rhythms and the white noise, which we have searched the globe for white noise machines that have come in and out of popularity over these past 27 years. And, um, and so we've landed on a few that are really good. They have to be loud enough. They have to be placed in the right place. And we just cover all those details. So yeah, the white noise machine, the sleep environment, Laura. And then the right swaddle, the right swaddle. Mm. They are under that 10 to 12 week mark. We want to make sure that they're swaddled and swaddled correctly. Um, and again, those are all little videos that you can watch at Moms on Call in the Knowledge Center, um, but being swaddled correctly. So those basic principles is that sleep environment, right sound machine, the, you know, the right swaddle, and then the routine, the routine, because the re and we hate using the word like a strict schedule, right? Because life is ne never goes exactly the same. And so Jennifer and I have tried really hard to say, look, 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 we're not talking strict. We're so strict that you can't, guys can't live. We just don't mm -hmm. want it all over the place that nobody knows what to expect, like even the dogs, you know? And so if we have a right-hand line and a left-hand line and we kind of keep it in the middle, then the way that those little ones tell time is by doing the same thing at the same time every day. And that consistency is what kind of gets us from point A to point B. We call mm. it their little inner 24 hour clock. So if we do the same thing at about the same time every day, then they begin to expect that just it's internally a part of how they make sense of the world around them. Yeah. I have noticed by keeping um, my little guy Bodie on a schedule too, it helps me because I know if he's fussing around like a certain time, I can be like, okay, oh, it's fe it's fe feeding time is in 20 minutes. He's probably hungry or we just ate and we're coming up towards his nap time. Like I know the reasons why he might be crying. Whereas like I have friends who like don't have a schedule and the baby's crying and they're like, I don't know if she's hungry or if she's tired or what it is, you know? So I feel like the schedule, just having a schedule in general, and I will get into like specifics with you guys, but I do see the value in that a hundred percent. Um, I want to go back to sleep environment because, and swaddling, I, only because as soon as you were describing the sleep environment, I realized, I'm like, there's a couple of things that we have in our room that might not be great. Um, how do you feel about like mobiles 
that give uh, you know like play music is that an is that a no-no yeah, in the no, sleep no, environment yeah right. <laughs> yeah we I love hanging them over the changing table or you can figure out a way and they can hang over a play mat or what have you but over the crib we don't want to have those there because we want to keep it as boring as possible mm. Okay. We were doing really good. I don't know when we added our mobile in. I think it it came into place during nap time because my little guy fights nap time really hard. Um, and we tried to like put that in there to help kind of soothe him to sleep. But okay, I- I'm taking that out. <laughs> that's, that's getting removed. <laughs> we, no, when we go in for the um, personal consultation, so it reminded me, um, I once went in oh to a consultation where a family wanted to have the white noise. And the idea they came up with was to wrap their hair dryer around the corner of the crib and put, it, um, put it on cool. And so like, sometimes you see just, you know, these desperate ideas that people come up with. And there used to be these um, stuffed animals that made, do you remember these, Laura, that made a noise like a whale. And so they put that in there like, oh, this is super soothing. And, you know, so no, we pull all of that out. We take all of that away. We make it absolutely safe and super boring. And that just helps those babies to associate crib time with sleep time. So we're just not Mm. trying to entertain them in there so they can make those associations that are consistent. And we we, we talk a lot about that kind of 24-hour clock, right? And and we know that that circadian rhythm, those days and nights, those aren't mature until they're about three or four months of age. But the things that we are doing in these first several weeks can absolutely have an impact on that. So that's why it's so important. We love, we will do consults with anybody all the yeah. way up to four <laughs> or five years of age. And we have been there, done that. But man, when we can get in in that sweet spot of those first couple of weeks and begin to put down these, this foundation, we call it a foundation, man, it just makes things, I, I'll I won't use the word easy because it's never easy, right? It's always Mm -hmm. two steps forward and one step back and we'll just get so excited. Like I'll get the email like, oh my gosh, we had the best night ever. And then the next day, like, oh my gosh, it was the worst (laughs) night ever. (laughs) Two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. (laughs) I can relate to that for sure. Um, When we talk about sleep environment too, because I know this is something I did and I know this is a question I got quite a bit is especially those early, early, early days. You know, I know we had, we had Bodie in a bassinet in our room. Do you guys recommend that? Do you recommend going straight to their own environment? Like what, what, what's your recommendations there? A bassinet is perfectly fine as long as it's a safe bassinet. You know, we don't want a a rock in place sleeper or a daca tot or anything like that. We want a, you know, true bassinet that's been certified for sleep. Yeah, that in your room, those first few weeks is perfectly fine. We're all learning to dance. And those first couple of weeks, it's all about just trying to get back to that birth weight and figure out what life is like with this new baby, right? We do recommend that you move them to their room in their crib as soon as you are ready. Hmm. Uh, And especially if your rooms are on the same floor, if your rooms are on different floors, then we may kind of do that a little bit longer just because we don't need people running up and down the stairs all night long and that kind of thing. But if your rooms are on the same floor, the answer to that question is as soon as you are ready. And mm. Jennifer and I see it all the time. The first, the families with the first little babies, because we do consults literally with every baby that's born. We have family, mm-hmm. we have done consults with four and five times. But, you know, when, when they're sleeping, that's just so, so, so important. And it does make such a difference, but... Anyway, I got off track. So (laughs) this is how mom brains think, even when your kids are older. And another one of the things that we talk about is, you know, babies go into twilight sleep. So they have these patterns in their nighttime sleep where they'll at nighttime, they go two to three hours in that really good deep REM. Then they come up to twilight sleep for about 15 to 20 minutes where they're the closest to alertness that they come in their sleep cycle. Then back down into another two to three hours of REM and up into twilight. And when they get into those twilight sleep stages, it's harder for them 
if they're smelling the kitchen of their favorite restaurant. So think about like it's midnight at your house and some grilled onions are kind of wafting <laughs> in. You were like, well, I thought I'd roll over and go back to sleep, but this smells really great. So sometimes even being so close, especially for breastfeeding moms, but even, you know, parents that are doing bottle feeding, they associate that smell of their parents with that feeding. And so it's just, a, it's stimulating oftentimes. Mm. So sometimes even just moving them back a little bit and then a little further away from the bed and a little further just helps not to add the additional stimulation in their nighttime environment when you're using the mom's on-call routines so that we're making sure that they are well-fed all throughout the day, all all those opportunities are, you know, 15 minutes from either side or using the schedules on the app. And then that really helps. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed when it came to us and we had him in the room, moving him out, it wasn't like for him, it was more me, you know, <laughs> that I had a hard time putting him in a separate room. Like I just wanted to be close and knew that, know that he was safe. The second we moved him into his room, like we all just started sleeping better. Like I did notice that. And that was something Brandon and I were like, okay, noted for second child. Like I think we moved him over <laughs> at six weeks. I, I would probably still want to have our baby in our room for a couple of weeks, but I'm like, okay, maybe after, maybe after four on the next one. We'll see. The answer to that is as soon as you are ready. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Um, I also wanted to talk about swaddling cause I know we touched on it and I did get a lot of questions about this. Uh, what do you do if your kid is just like not into the swaddle at all? They're fighting it. I know when I would try the second I would try and put his arms down and get like one corner over him. He was throwing his arms up, like doing everything he could to fight out of that swaddle. Like what are there other products you would recommend or other options? Like t tell us a little bit about that. So, so with swaddling, if it's not done correctly, they won't like it. And if they think they can get out, they're going to try to get out. And so, so many times when I, especially in our personal consults, and that's really when you're having issues with that swaddle and, you know, the mom's on call, you've got the mom's on call blanket, you have practiced and practiced our technique and you're still having issues, then that's when you need to come alongside a consultant who can kind of, let's tweak it. Let me watch you. While you're, oh, you know what? You're going under your wrist instead of over your wrist. There's some little things that may can be tweaked that will help. If it's done correctly, they should settle down within three minutes. It should mm. be almost instant. If they're not, then there's probably something a little bit off. And there's lots of products out there. So you've got, you know, really stretchy blankets that are big enough. But if they're real stretchy, then they're going to they're gonna think they can get out. And then that's going to get those hands up in a place that then they, they can, you know, can bust out. So the proper way and the proper material blanket can make all the difference. And if you're still having issues, then you need to get connected with one of our consultants to help kind of navigate that and walk that out with you. So that, yes, there are. I'm not going to say that there's not times where we're like, OK, yeah, this boy is like Hercules and this isn't going to work. And so we're going to have to go to plan B, um, but we'll go to plan B after we're sure that plan A is not, doesn't need to be tweaked. How, how do you guys feel about like the swaddles that have the arms sticking out or weighted swaddles? So no weighted at all because those that have been recalled. Yeah. The weighted really? It's for yeah. babies. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that the mm. weight it has been truly recalled. We need to look that up, Jennifer, okay. and make sure. I know the AAP put out guidelines that said against those. Not to do it. Okay. Um, and so, and the reason, but we've never recommended them because we do, even though they're swaddled, we want them to be able to kind of scoot, move around a little bit. And those weighted ones will tend to keep them in one position. And mm. the weighted ones are typically more of a sleep sack variety, right? And yeah. when, when they're, when they've busted out of the swaddle and we've moved on to, to de-swaddling and taking them out of that, we want them to be free to move around. And so those weighted sleep sacks can hinder them from finding that comfy spot and rolling over and sleeping with their butt up in the air. And so we want them to have freedom to explore and find that comfy spot with the least amount of frustration as we can possibly get once we get to that point. Yeah, that is one question I wanted to ask you guys because that's something I learned 
from our call, uh, Laura, is when you get them out of this, the swaddle, because I would love to hear a little bit from you guys of like when it's time to get out of that. And then like the transition out of that. Once you are in it, we have so many clients that are doing so great. Like we love it as things are plugging along just like we want. And so they want to hold on to that swaddle like for eternity. So we do have this this talk quite often, um, you know, when they're regularly breaking out, some kids are stronger than others and they all progress at their same pace, you know, at a different pace. And, um, so when they're regularly breaking out or somewhere around that 10 to 12 week mark, um, and we always drop it first at nighttime so that they can figure out, they have that whole nighttime to figure out how to find their comfy spot. And, you know, it's that long stretch of time. So oftentimes we'll have people who want to drop it or just start putting one arm out at nap time or drop it at nap time. And really the way to go about it is to do it at night first, and you can hold on to it for nap time for a little while until nighttime is sorted out. And then you can remove it at nap time as well. And we recommend just going to straight footed pajamas. You can do those nice, cozy footed pajamas. That's going to give them all the freedom that they need to hike those legs over and work those muscles and figure out how to roll over or scoot around and find that comfy spot. Uh, and we want them. This is a great opportunity for them to be free. Uh, they may not like it a whole lot for a couple of nights, but we want them to be free to find that as soon as possible. I call that yeah. crying when they're figuring out how to roll over um, the sound of achievement. So sometimes <laughs> the, the frustration is a great motivator. We also recommend in the evening time before you go to bed to have that tummy time. So since they're fussy anyways, by the end of the day, they've had these arms that they don't know how to control. Um, You know, they're at the end of their day and they're fussy. This is a great time to do some tummy time and use that fussiness to meet the next developmental milestone. So get that energy out right before that last little, you know, nighttime routine that we talk about and then put them to bed. And it's really helpful to utilize those times and see one of the things we love to do, Sarah, is to help convince parents of what their kids are capable of, to let them show you like how they learn how to roll over and how strong they are and how resilient they are. Um, And so that's really one of the beautiful things. We're just like, just wait, Laura calls it practicing the pause, like just give them a minute, even if they're really fussy and let them show you what they can do. And oftentimes that frustration will turn into accomplishment and it's hardest on us as we're watching this unfold, but you're right there. And, you know, really it's helpful in a number of ways. So for those babies, we often get asked like, okay, so I took the swaddle away. Now they're rolling over onto their stomach and they get stuck there. Um, Mm. That's why in the early time, I'm so glad we're talking now. That's why we recommend tummy time ahead of that so that they have time to practice, but we don't always go in there. American Academy of Pediatrics says that we can, once they can roll over on to their stomach on their own, we can let them sort it out. So we don't have to go in there, roll them back over, and they roll over, get frustrated. We roll them back over and we're going in and out with those things. So, you know, as long as we have, and what we talked about earlier is that safe sleep environment. So there's no stuffed animals in there. There's no loose blankets in there. And it's a really safe environment, which that they have an opportunity to be able to learn and grow. And oftentimes, especially with the first one, we're on that visual monitor, just watching the whole thing <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm so glad you brought that up because when we, when he started rolling over and we took him out of the swaddle, um, that a hundred percent, we would be like, he would start crying. He would roll over on his tummy and be stuck there. And we'd be like, Oh my God, what do we do? Is he, is he going to, you know, uh, suffocate laying on his stomach? But like, we kept telling ourselves, no, we know he's on a breathable mattress. He's got the right sheet on there. It's going to be okay. So I, I love that you, you brought that up. Cause I do think that's something probably every parent questions. And for, for sure. the dads too, I love how you brought that up. So for the dads too, we'll often say it's hard. It is hard to listen to that sound of achievement <clears throat> for any extended amount of time. But if you just hug your partner and say, hey, we're going to get through this together. 
Like there's so much power in that. And sometimes, you know, dads typically, they don't always know what to do or say, like they want to rescue and they want to help. And so sometimes it's just really helpful for your listeners, you know, to be able to say, look, you can just say, Hey, we're going to get through this together. We don't have to say this is easy, but you know, we can do it. We'll do it together. We'll make these decisions together. If you know, you have a partner in, in this adventure with you, it's just nice to give them something to do and say, get yeah. through the hard stuff, getting through the hard stuff for sure. So in, in that nighttime sleep. Okay. Cause I remember in the beginning, I remember in the very, very beginning, we were like setting our alarms. Like we need to feed him every three hours and I feel like within that first week, we stopped setting the alarms because he let us know, you know, he was, <laughs> he would be crying. We knew when to go in at what's, what point do you start like pushing them a little bit farther in feedings and eventually like weaning them off those nighttime feedings? That's a great question. So once, you know, once they are two weeks of age and past their birth weight, so we know that they're healthy. We know that they've, they're gaining weight well your milk's established, everything is, is going in the direction we want it to go in. Once they're about two weeks of age, past that birth weight, then we can really begin to do some on-demand feeding at night, which means we can turn off those notifications in the Moms on Call app if everybody's got that. There is a way to turn those off as soon as you get ready. Um, turn those off at night and move more to on demand, which means we let them tell us. And yes, just like you said, they will let us know. And, and a lot of times, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, should they be feeding once in the middle of the night or 10 times in the middle of the night or none in the middle of the night? And, and really the way we approach that is there's going to be some nights where it's twice. There's going to be some nights where it's once. There's going to be some nights where it seems like you're just up all night long. There is going to be this back and forth dance over those first six to eight weeks. Then things tend to get a little more consistent as we move towards no feedings at night. Mm. Um, Are you, let's say your baby is crying like sooner than even three hour increments. Are you feeding them every time or are there any things, are you doing anything to see if they'll soothe without food. So we always, if we know that we have all the things in place, we know that they're healthy. We know that they're eating plenty during the day. Then that's where we go back to what Jennifer was talking about, practicing the pause. So once they're two weeks of age, past their birth weight, and they make those initial noises in the middle of the night, just hold up a second or two. Maybe it's three minutes, four minutes, whatever it is. Go in and maybe jiggle, reposition, try a passy. All right, they're still fussy, then we we need to feed them. Um, So practicing the pause will allow you to kind of get through that twilight sleep, which typically lasts about 20 minutes. And if we make it to about 15 or 20 minutes, you may be going in there every few minutes. You may find that they, yes, they go back to sleep, sleep another little cycle. Then they're going to wake and they're going to let you know, somebody better feed me. (laughs) Okay. That's, that's really, really helpful. I like that you're giving like concrete times too, uh, because that's something I know when he was next to us, it was hard. We would hear him, we would hear him start to cry and it was very easy to just jump up and soothe him right away and learning how to do that pause and seeing if they would, you know, go back into that or go back into a sleep cycle or however you said it um, was really, really helpful for us. So I think that's a good thing to know waiting even three, five minutes. Um, I think some people hear sleep training and they're like, Oh, I, I, people want me to not never check on my crying baby, but that's not what we're saying here. It's just giving it a little, little, little pause. It is the longest three to five minutes you've ever experienced in your life. Yeah. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. You've waited a long nine months and mama deserves a cocktail. But I'm not going to lie. I know I had a lot of anxiety around drinking when my little guy wasn't sleeping through the night. I mean, I knew I had to be on my A game 
early the next morning, which is why I am obsessed with Morning Recovery by More Labs. Morning Recovery uses a plant-derived superhero formula that helps speed up the breakdown of alcohol-induced toxins. Just drink one little bottle of Morning Recovery the night you're drinking and let their proprietary blend of electrolytes and vitamins rehydrate and restore lost nutrients so you can wake up ready to take on whatever motherhood has in store for you. I always keep a package of these stocked at my house. I travel with them. I honestly, at this point, like just refuse to drink without them. I'm sure most of you have probably realized by now, I mean, rough mornings after a few cocktails are just not an option with a new baby. It's just not worth it. So don't let rough mornings after drinking dampen the next day. Drink smarter with morning recovery at morelabs.com slash big kid and use code big kid for 20% off your order. 20% off guys. That is a nice little savings. Head to morelabs.com slash big kid and use code big kid at checkout. Cheers. Oh my gosh. Okay. So at this point, if we're, if we're getting longer, um, sleep, I actually, so this is some advice I got from a friend is, and I don't know if this is true. That's why I'm going to ask you if like they go through an entire night without feedings, Um, my friend's like, okay, he showed you that he can do it. So now you need to stop feeding him in the middle of the night. Is that a thing or not really? (laughs) You're in the fourth trimester. Um, there are some really good guidelines and Laura says it so beautifully. I'm going to let her take that. Well, you know, again, we go back to no, just because they sleep through the night one night does not mean that they never need, because you will get some through the night nights. If you're doing the right swaddle and the right sound machine, and you're on the mom song call routines, you may very well get a through the night night somewhere around that eight week mark. It's not going to be every night. It's typically going to be one night, and then you're going to have another night where a feed or two, and then it's going to be a couple of through the night nights and then it's gonna be you know and so you're gonna kind of play that back and forth game for just a little bit so no I would have to say yeah you know he did it once that's great and I'm gonna I'm gonna be so happy with that and and be thrilled but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're done with middle of the night feedings I do love like that hopeful statement that she gave you though like here's where we're (laughs) headed you know it can happen (laughs) I, I remember the first like night we got all the way through, like me and my husband were high fiving. We're like, we're done. This is amazing. And then like the next night he slept like two hour increments. We're like, oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> happens to the best but of us. That's reality, right, yeah. Sarah? You know, we want to really, we try to be as realistic as possible. I mean, it is, that's reality. We're going to have really, really good days and we're going to have really, really bad days. And that's when you need your people. That's when you need mm-hmm. to have a Jennifer on your, your side <laughs> and be like, girl, Help. I don't know that I'm going to, I'm sending Help, all girl. these kids back. I'm done. Right. <laughs> you know, where's the return envelope? I'm, I'm done. <laughs> And that's when Jennifer can be like, oh, you know, we're going to get through this together. <laughs> Remember that we all the bad days, but we had some good days and we had a really good, you know. And so you Versus, just- I'll come get them. <laughs> yeah. You need a shower, babe. I'll come get them. Nope, yep. yep. Those are the best kind of friends. Those yeah. are the those are the real winners right there. Pick my kid up, please. I need yeah. a shower. On my way. <laughs> um okay, so this is another question I got and this was very this was very true for us too is once we started getting like more through the night uh you know, sleep, we'd get like 6 8 hours sleeps. Um, we kind of hit this snag where it was like in the morning, like somewhere between 5 a.m., 6 a.m., they're waking up, you know, crying, ready to go. And you and we haven't even talked about the daytime schedules, but obviously, you know, we have these schedules that start at 7 a.m. That's that's how we've been doing it. So if I know he has a bottle at 7 a.m., but he's waking up an hour, an hour and a half before, am I still feeding them then? And if I am, am I feeding them at 7? Like, how does that all shake out? Like, how do you... How do you get them past that little hump? Uh, we talk about this transition a good bit and we built it into our app. So for those listeners who have the Moms on Call app, the beautiful new one that we have, 
if you go to that time in the day and you press it right between five and seven in the schedule that you were in, it will map out exactly what Laura is about to tell you. So yes, this is a transition, getting them from that five to seven pretty regularly. And we do have some guidelines for that. It is. And that's, you know, because, okay, well, they slept all night, right? And, you know, a lot of times they've slept all night or you may get fed at one and then they're waking somewhere around five. So typically what we say is if they get to about 5 a.m. or later, and you've practiced the pause and we can't wait anymore, right? Like this is horrible. Then because we're under three months of age, we're still feeding. We're not, you know, we're not pushing them for hours and hours and hours. So if it's five to 6.30 or so, feed half the amount or time, put them right back down. We want like strictly business. We are not engaging in the middle of the night and 5 a.m. is still considered in the middle of the night. So we'll feed half the time, half the amount, get them right back in that bed. But we are going to start the day at 7 or 7.15 at the latest with intention, which means we do, you know, like Jennifer does not like to be awakened abruptly. Um, but with Never. our little ones, I have to ease into alertness. Ease into alertness <laughs> with our little ones as we're yeah. beginning to set the circadian rhythm. We want to open the blinds, sing a song, do some stretches. We want you to bring that energy in the room that will directly impact when nighttime hormones come into play 12 hours later. So we do want to be very intentional with starting the day at seven or 7.15 and then feed as you normally would. And yes, they may take a little bit less. It's just feed whatever they will take. Now, one thing we do like to point out is if they wake at 6 a.m. or later, that mm. is perfectly normal and expected. Nobody wants their kid waking at 6 a.m., but it is normal. We all do, even as adults. We wake about an hour before get up time. And that's when we're kind of tossing and turning. And for adults, we may look at our phone and be like, oh, great, I've got 20 more minutes, right? And so these little ones will also wake, kind of fuss, whine out, doze, but, you know, and eventually they're rolling over and scooting around and tossing and turning as well. So 6 a.m. or later, we're good. We can make it to 6.30, 6.45. That counts. Start the day. You're good to go. But prior oh. to that, you have and and get down. So you would feed okay. at five and then again at seven. You'd feed at 5.30 and then again at 7 a.m. But if mm. you make it to six, push, push to 6.30 and 6.30 counts at 7 a.m. Okay. That's really, really helpful. Cause I think for a while there we were, I was, Brandon is our, is our morning guy. He's on morning shift and he would start at like, he would get him up at, you know, 6am and try and keep, we were, we were like, I think we need to keep him in the room until seven. So he'd be like trying everything, like walking him around the room, trying to read him stories, doing any, anything he could to make it to seven. And it sounds like that was maybe unnecessary torture on, on his side. That's <laughs> sweet. The reading That's the stories part is rather sweet. <laughs> yeah, he would do everything trying to keep that kid till seven till seven a.m. So that's good to know if they're up, you can keep them up. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean like because that was that was my fear is I was like I don't want him to think like wake up time is six fifteen or six thirty. Like right. I want him to know it's seven thirty six forty five as you can. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. Oh, and one thing as you said it, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to bring it back to this point we're going back for a second but one thing you taught me that I did not know and this made such a difference at nighttime feedings is to keep it so short because I, I think um for Bodhi he was taking like 45 minutes to an hour especially in those early days to drink a bottle um tell us a little bit of your advice like you want to keep those night middle of the nighttime feedings as short as possible right like it is not party time that's right <laughs> <laughs> when you teach them, basically what we're doing is we're trying to familiarize them with what nighttime looks like in our house. And so we don't want all this additional stimulation of, you know, TVs or loud noises or bright lights that brings them to that full alert state. We want to keep it super low key, 
and we want you to enjoy it. We don't want you to fall asleep. So enough flights so that you're not dozing off. Um, but we're, we're, it's strictly business for nighttime because our goal is to teach them what nighttime looks like in this house. And it's not a ton of stimulation, but all the things that you want to do and that feeding and snuggling and cuddling and, you know, that's all daytime, like bring all that energy to 7am, just like Laura was saying. So it's not that you can't do it. You can, it's just, we want to do it very purposefully um, so that it serves our goal of having sustainable nighttime routines for our family. And, and mm. one thing Sarah, I would say is, you know, if it's taken 45 or 60 minutes, especially with a bottle, in the middle of the night, my first question, if I was doing a consult with a family, my first would be like, did you wait long enough to make sure they were really awake and hungry? Because if you mm. didn't, they're going to just play around with it. They're not really awake and hungry and we're trying to force feed them. Okay. Um, so first, my first question would be, you know, are we waiting to make sure that they're hungry and ready to eat? And the second question would be, hey, how are those other feedings going? If you're doing a bottle, then we want to make sure that those other feedings aren't taking 45 to 60 minutes. And if they are, especially after those two weeks, then we need to look at a few things. We need to look at latch. We need to look at the type of nipple. We need to look at the feeding positions. And I'll go back. That is where our consulting, which is how Mom's on Call started, that is one of those just incredible gems that, that we get to do, whether we're in home or whether we're doing a consult virtually, is we can actually grab a baby and show the position. We can show which bottles we like. We can show, you know, how to kind of massage and put some counter pressure on that jaw. We can make sure that all of those things are in place so that these feedings are not dragging out forever. Because when they drag out forever, they're burning calories. We're exhausted. It's just, and by the time we get them back done and then we're back down, now it's time to feed again. And their little digestive system gets all out of whack and uh, they, their digestive system needs that rest. And so we don't want to drag those feedings out too, too long. Which brings it full circle to what you were saying before, Sarah, about the feedings playing a part in sleeping. When we do those mm. feedings, it's bulk feeding, digest, rest, reset, bulk feeding, digest, rest, reset. So there's this pattern and rhythm to the digestive system that allows us to keep that as part of the rhythm of, you know, then when they're in that digest and rest and reset, that's where that sleep and that's where that nap comes in. So we're not just bunching all these things together. We kind of get them in this, in this natural rhythm because it's just all connected. It's like a puzzle piece. And one of the things the consultants do is thinking about when you're talking about that is sometimes it's just one little piece of the puzzle. And sometimes mm. you just need a person to talk to you to figure out where everything is in your house with your unique situation, with your unique baby that can go, oh, you know what? Here's the puzzle piece. And when we put that into place, instead of a hundred different things that we tried and they didn't work and I tried something else and it didn't work, you kind of have that. Let's just put this puzzle piece in place and let's give it about two or three days. And then, you know, let's check in and see where we are. And so it just mm. helps us to be able to recognize what is that one little thing that may be out of whack. Yeah. How, how long do you think feeding should take? Like if you're, if everything's right, <laughs> we have a whole page of it in the book, according to age. Yeah. about. 20. Okay. So by age, it will change. Yeah. yeah. 20, 20 to 30, you said? 20 to 30 is pretty much where we land. Those first few weeks, maybe it's going to go a little bit longer than that, 40-ish. But once we're kind of in that rhythm, you're looking at about 30 minutes max. Mm. This is a, this is an early days question, and I know I got a couple of these too. Um, what if your baby keeps falling asleep when you're trying to feed them? Even in the during the day, this was like a huge thing for us, especially those first couple weeks. Bodie would, I would literally give him the bottle. He'd be screaming for the bottle and two minutes in, he would just be passed out and I'd use an ice cube. I tried the ice cube trick. Wasn't working. Help us out. What do we do? As pediatric nurses, this was one of the things that we taught so many parents to do is to kind of use your fingernail and scrape the inside of the bottom of their foot. Just 
to alert them that this is feeding time, not sleeping time, a little cool washcloth to the head, not getting too comfortable. So especially for breastfeeding babies, sometimes we're just all snug in there and it's warm and, you know, we may be like flesh on flesh and they're just like best ever, you know, and they're out. <laughs> so we have to make it a little bit uncomfortable. And our job is basically to be like, Hey buddy, this is time to eat. And I want to give you the indicators that this is feeding time and it's work. Like they are resistant and I get it. Like some ice cube, <laughs> like if an ice cube won't work, what are we going to do? Literally, I'd be like rubbing an ice cube on his like foot or whatever it was. Yeah. And he'd just be dripped out. <laughs> like, if only I could sleep this hard, you know? Right. And those, <laughs> where was the sleep last night? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And those first Seriously. couple of weeks it is, they're just sleeping so much. And, you know, that's just strip them down, do the best that you can. After we get out of that, one thing that we've noticed is if they're getting good rest, so swaddling, putting them down for a nap that's, you know, in their crib so that they're sleeping really well, what we've found is then they wake up and they're ready to eat. And now they have enough energy to eat. And mm. so then they eat better. And now we can, you know, kind of start to begin that two hour, 45 minute to three hours, 15 minute kind of feeding routine. And they do tend to do much better. Yes. Okay. So on that note, cause we're talking, we were, we're talking about sleep and um, I want to get to daytime sleep. I want to talk about naps because this is a big thing. And this is something that I am currently struggling with so hard. Um, let's talk about naps. <laughs> okay. Cause especially in the early days, like that was our problem. I was like, I was having trouble keeping this kid awake. And now I'm in a phase where he doesn't want to sleep during the day. He's doing great at night, but he doesn't want like the second I put him down, he's either fussing cause he knows he's in his room and he knows I'm about to leave him in his crib or he wakes up 20, 15 minutes, 20 minutes in and doesn't want to sleep anymore. Like what, how do we get these kids napping? You know, we talked so that about we have time, <laughs> right? Oh, it's desperate. We're desperate for naps. Moms are desperate for naps. Um, well, when we talked about the nighttime sleep, two to three hours in REM, you know, 15 to 20 in twilight, two to three hours in REM, the nap sleep cycle, it is, you can set a clock by it. It's 20 to 30 minutes in REM and then 10 to 15 in twilight. And then another 30, sometimes a 45 minute stretch on the other side, at least two naps a day, we're going in and out. And so oftentimes they'll get into that first 20 to 30 minute, um, you know, section of their nap. And then they come into twilight sleep and it's all over. Like, we, you know, they're making noise and it's different for nap time than it is for nighttime as um, it applies to our intervention. So we can intervene sooner in nap time just to kind of get them over that one hump. Because if we can get that 30 to 45 minute REM cycle on the other end of that, then that's golden. And we can expect to do that about two a day. And then there'll be two what we call cat naps, where it's just that first cycle all by itself. And, and one so, of the things, Sarah, is really, you know, creating good habits for nap. Right. So, you know, if we say, okay, you know what, we're going to focus on two naps a day, a minimum of two naps a day, we can do as many as we want to, but at least two where we head to the room and we do that sweet pre-nap routine about the same time every day to the best of our ability. We have that pre-nap routine that's changing the diaper and doing some snuggles and reading a story or baby massage or whatever you want that to be. Then we put them in, we swaddle them correctly because again, this podcast, this one is all about under three months, right? And mm. so they're swaddled, we're cranking up that sound machine, we have some natural light coming in, we put them in the crib, takes them five or 10 minutes to fall asleep, they do the sleep, that first stretch. So what do you do when they wake at that 30 minute mark? And you can almost set your clock. And this is the thing. Too often, nobody tells us that that's normal and to be expected. So what we do is we go in and we pick them up and we run around the house and we rock them and we feed them early and we just whatever it's, it's going to take, right? When in actuality, if we know that that's going to happen, then we need to have a plan on what we're going to do. So when they wake in that little twilight sleep for nap time, 
we are also going to practice the pause. We're going to wait. Sometimes you can say, I'm just going to finish putting the clothes from the washer to the dryer. I'm going to empty out this dishwasher, right? You're going to practice the pause. Then you're going to go in and use one of your tools in your toolbox. So whether it's jiggling, repositioning, trying a passy, making sure the swaddle's tight, sometimes putting the sound machine a little bit louder for two or three minutes. Anything but picking them up out of the crib and running around the house with them because then that just becomes habit. That's just what we're teaching them is that this is how that works. Mm -hmm. If you do that for about 20 minutes, they'll go back to sleep for another 30 or 45 minutes. Then what happens is, okay, well, what happens? You know, they really didn't go back to that second sleep cycle. Um, they're still really, really fussy. So then what do you do? So we're, we lay it out. Look, once you're within about 30 minutes of the next feed time, unswaddle and do some supervised tummy time. Uh, do some low-key snuggle time if you want to. And then you can feed 15 minutes early if you need to. So you have that 15-minute grace period. Use that to your benefit. But if we will walk that out and be very purposeful at least twice a day, that's going to help us to create some really good nap habits to the best of our ability. Again, we're going to have good nap days. We're going to have pretty bad nap days. We're going to have good and bad all in the same day. Um, naps are just one of those things that I think our expe expectation is unrealistic for the most mm. part. I think we think, well, we should put them down and they should sleep peacefully for two hours and never make a sound. And, you know, and that's just, that's not realistic. That's not the way the body works. And if another um, helpful element of that, that we don't often think about is ensuring that they get their energy out. So, so much of our day is devoted to making sure they don't ever fuss and then they go to sleep and we're like, well, they really haven't had a chance to get their energy out. And since they can't take a jog, you know, and, you know, they have one way to pretty much release the energy. And, you know, we oftentimes kind of spent the whole day making sure that there was no noise. And then we put them down for this nap and they really haven't had an opportunity to get that energy out. And so that's another way to, you know, utilize that tummy time, utilize, you know, putting them right between your hands and letting them, you know, push their feet up off of your lap and giving them little opportunities to move and even opportunities to fuss when you have multiple kids, it's a little easier because the demands of another child <laughs> mean that your pause is a little longer because you have more to do. Um, but that actually, oftentimes these kids will nap better just because they did have an opportunity to just get some energy out during the day. So those are some of the things that we often don't think about that we can do during awake time that will mm. also help those naps be more effective. Okay. I think that's, that's a really good uh, piece of advice. Uh, I'm curious when it comes to the soothing, because I, I was laughing because before we even did this interview, I attempted a nap and <laughs> I was just taking fresh. notes. I was like, this is it's a disaster. Um, when it comes to soothing. So uh, right on time, you know, maybe like 25, 30 minutes into this nap, he's, he's screaming and you know, sometimes I wait longer windows. I've tried everything. I'll, 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 I'll sometimes wait till it gets like reaches a higher pitch. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in there and try and soothe him. Sometimes I try and wait a full 15, 20 minutes. And then I try and go in and soothe him. Is there a right time to go in? And then how long are you soothing them? Cause I've also tried to just do a quick soothe and leave. And I've also done times where I go in there and do like a full 20 minutes rubbing his back, trying to do everything and it, that still doesn't work. So like, what's your recommendation there? I love this because you have just described the condition of probably almost every person listening right now. Like everybody is relating to this. Laura and I had this with our eight kids. Like you so perfectly described how we've tried to handle and manage that little twilight period in a typical nap. And under, you know, under three months of age, they're swaddled in the sound machine. You got to make sure all those pieces are together. So in that case, you're going in every five to 10 minutes, stay in less than 10 seconds and getting out. However, in your situation, now we've moved past that under three months. Now we're knocking on four and five months of age, right? So a few things. Is he in footed pajamas? 
is he rolling easily yet? Because once they roll over, naps tend to get a little bit better. You'll have one okay-ish nap and one better nap. Um, and so you'll, that, that will be your two naps once they're rolling over and, and can find that comfy spot. At that age, we want you to try and not go in until you're within the 30 minutes of the next feed time. And the reason is just like you described at that age, they're so aware of their surroundings and you walk in the room and that just makes them more mad. It didn't help hardly at all, right? They just, they're mad at that point. So if we would have just stayed out another few minutes, they'll typically roll over, put their butt in the air, get another 20, 30 minutes under their belt. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think we've now created some bad habits where he knows like mom's coming. <laughs> if he could just, if he can cry and scream loud enough, he knows like I'll come. Um, and, and I, and it, it only ends in disaster for him because then he's like fussy. He's overtired the rest of the day. We're really like, we're in a spot right now, which I want to, before we wrap this up, I know we're getting close on time. I want to talk about regressions. Um, we're at a, that space now where I, I feel like he is getting to be a little bit more overtired through the day. Cause we're not getting these good naps. So focus, I'm on gonna... two. focus on two naps where you really try to walk it out. And as much of the same time that. naps. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Laura. As much as the same time naps as you can. So when we say two, pick the same two times of day. So we can use that little inner 24 hour clock to use the way that babies learn by routine and association to be able to use those two longer naps. And then the other two are cat naps. Just give up, have a good time. In the meantime, they'd be a little bit more tired for that feeding, like you talked about after a cat nap. Um, but yeah, but if you'll use the same time a day, just like Laura said, pick two, the same two. Okay. And then you mentioned footy pajamas. So I know his first nap of the day, he's usually still in his pajamas, but usually by his second nap of the day, we've changed him into like a short sleeve onesie. Um, is that okay? Or do you think like their feet should be covered? Okay, no, that's perfectly fine. At the, as long as it's not something that's scratchy and has a bunch of buttons and, you know, things on like an outfit that he wore to, you know, whatever, as long as it's a comfortable outfit and that's perfectly fine. And one of the okay. phenomenon that happen with babies this age is their hands and their feet get really cold when they sleep because they're growing their internal organs and their brain is growing so fast that the blood supply goes to those areas when they sleep. So oftentimes we'll go in there and we'll be like, you're freezing, feel these ice cold hands and feet, but it's a phenomenon. They don't feel like our hands feel when they're cold or feet feel when they cold. It's just a normal part of their growth and development. So, you know, um, with their little hands, they don't need mittens or <laughs> they can have little footed. If you want to take a, a sock, if you're doing the footed pajama, if you want to take a baby sock and put it on first and then do the footed pajama, the foot stays in the footy better. So that's a little way that we can do that. But if you just, you know, if this foot is exposed and you go in there and it's just super cold, just know that that's a normal phenomena of growth and development. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. And I know you guys too, um, you guys don't recommend no naps longer than two hours. Is that right? Give or take a little bit. You know, you have that 15 minute grace period. So, you know, as long as we're getting them up by 15 minutes past their feed time, we don't want to go much past 15 minutes past their feed time. We're good to go. So occasionally perfectly fine. If you're one of the lucky ones, don't tell your friend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, that was a question we got, and one that I we we were on vacation. We we took him out of his uh, comfort window, which is I'm sure we could probably spend another hour talking about that. But in those situations where you're not getting like any naps during the day, and then they finally fall asleep, like I remember we we screwed up every nap of the day, and then he finally passed out. Do you let them sleep longer or do you try and just, you try and eat, give them only that 15 minute grace window? They're going to get back on track at the next feed time. So let the day happens, let it happen the way it does. But about that next feed time, especially if it's a C time, which if, the, if they're on the eight to 16 week routine, that's that 4 PM feeding, get back on track. And as long as you're getting back on track with that next feed time, you're good. 
And it means okay. waking a sleeping baby, which people say never wake a sleeping baby, but mom's on call. Yes. We're going to wake a sleeping baby all day long to set that 24 hour clock when it's appropriate in these increments. So I know that you don't want to, you tried so hard and you want that break so bad. Be like maybe 16 minutes, maybe she said 15, but could that be interpreted as 20? Um, You know, it just helps us at that 24 hour clock so that what we're trying to do is maintain tomorrow and the Mm -hmm. tomorrow after that. Some days, is it just going to be absolute chaos? Yes. And Laura was talking about sea times. Those are crazy daytime. So it's moms of eight kids. We recognize things don't run on schedule all the time. And like what you're experiencing with naps right now, if we just hit the C times in those crazy days where we put that little C next to the schedule and we've mapped these out for those of you who haven't seen the moms on call schedules, we map them out by time. We make it as easy as possible. So you don't have to do math on top of being exhausted and taking care of everyone. Um, And so we put little C's next to some of those times that are the critical times to maintain that nighttime sleep and to affect the next day's nap. So those are just kind of, you know, on those crazy days, we can get back on schedule by dinner time. Yes. I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up. And guys, like for those of you listening at home, I cannot stress enough how helpful it is to have a schedule that you guys have mapped out. Like you're not, you're not trying to figure this out every day and just trying like you guys, this schedule that you've come up with and it does change. That's, that's another interesting point too. Like every few weeks you kind of develop into a new schedule and um, it's just so, so helpful. So anybody listening, I hope this, this podcast has maybe given you a little, a little taste of uh, what you guys are doing over at moms on call. But for anyone listening, I, highly recommend checking you guys out, learning more about it. And on that note, cause I know we are wrapping up. We're getting, we're getting short on time. I could probably keep you on here for three more hours <laughs> with questions. Like I know I even have a ton more, um, but I do want to let you guys go about your lives. Um, tell us where we can find more from you and where everyone can find more moms on call. Well, of course, momsoncall.com is the best place because it's all things Moms on Call from, you know, the three books to the blankets to the online courses to we have a great CPR course that we released a little bit ago. And I'm telling you, it's fabulous. Print off all those PDFs, put them in a family binder so people have what they need. The CPR class is great. The apps, you can get to, to the apps uh, through our store, the Knowledge Center. Oh my gosh, our knowledge center with all the blogs and the videos and the free resources from the baby food introduction calendar, which is free, the preemie progression cheat sheet for all of you guys that have little preemies, go and print those things out. Um, And then of course, our social media channels, Instagram and, and Facebook as well. So we're there and our consultants, we have the, our, this incredible network of consultants that will, from an email package for a week, that's, if you just have those pressing questions like you got bombarded with when you asked uh, (laughs) on social, those are the questions, that's what we do. And we come alongside you with, you know, email support, whether it's a week or a month or three months or a virtual consult or an in-home consult, if we have someone in your area, all of that's found at momsoncall.com. Yes. I'm going to link all of it in show notes. I know Laura, I had a call with you when I think Bodhi was eight weeks. And from that eight week call to 12 weeks, like we got him sleeping. Like it was such a game changer for us. You guys are such an incredible resource. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on this show. It has been so, so helpful. Thank you for having us. We had a great time. Thank you so much. (laughs) 